Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. Uh, glad you could join us all tonight at, for a very special night where we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of uh, a special album, uh, George Harrison's Living in the Material World. I knew there somebody would hold it up. I knew someone would <laughs> be ready with that. <laughs> There we go. Where did I put my? Tom, <laughs> oh, it's right behind Tom, me. It's right behind me. It's right there. I see it. I see it. There you go. Um, and uh, and as I I teased, we have a special guest with us to uh, help us celebrate the album. Uh, before uh, we uh, before we introduce him, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Kid O'Toole. I'm the author of Songs We Are Singing, Guided Tours to the Beatles, Lesser Known Tracks, Michael Jackson FAQ, All That's Left to Know About the King of Pop. Uh, I am also the co-host of the podcast, Toppermost of the Poppermost, where we talk about uh, we're, well, actually, we're tracing um, the Beatles on the charts from 1962 all the way through their breakup and the other songs that were on the charts at the same time. So uh, joining me, as always, are my good friends that I'm so fortunate uh, to share this uh, the spotlight with on this wonderful show. <clears throat> he is the host of the popular podcast, Two Legs, a Paul McCartney-centric podcast and video cast, and he just started a, a video channel of his own about his other great passion movies. So say hello to Tom Hanyadi. Tom, always great to see you, my friend. Hey, I you know I was going to make the the hand print here. But, <laughs> anyways, it's great to be here, Ken. It's good to see you, mystery guest Kit. It, it's it's this is going to be another fun one. And uh, I don't know if this, you know, album is edgy enough uh, to uh, be on anybody's favorite list, as as we maybe seen on some other video. But <laughs> but we shall uh, see. Anyways, we hmm. shall see. We shall see. This is going to be fun. Can't wait. Absolutely. Um, and also, as always, with us is. Uh, a kind of a legend in the Beatles community. He is the host of Deep Breath. Um, <laughs> every little thing, every little thing, the longtime syndicated show where he plays just that every little thing from the Beatles and solo eras, uh, 
centered around all different themes, really clever themes. Uh, the popular podcast, Things We Said Today, that he co-hosts with uh, Darren DeVivo and Alan Cozen, as I always say, just ask Peter Jackson if, uh, <laughs> <laughs> about the podcast. Um, and uh, finally, he also has a YouTube channel called Ken Michaels Radio, where you just don't know who will pop up on uh, on his channel. He talks to everyone from authors to musicians um, to you just don't know who. Maybe one of us. <laughs> so uh, so say hello to your friend and mine, Ken Michaels. Hello, Ken. Hi, Kit. Hi, Tom. Looking forward to this show. You outdid yourself. You had the front and back cover. In the that's right that's right yeah. well i was going to do just the front cover but then it just looked like one hand over my head i didn't want to start any conspiracy theories it looked kind of uh -huh. weird yeah. so you know i thought this this looked best now you can see joe is not with us tonight unfortunately he had a dental emergency and is was in a great deal of pain so we want to send out our best wishes to joe we all know what that's like tooth pain is the worst so we want to send out all our best wishes to him he might stop by later tonight if he's up to it but we have a very very good friend of the show who is uh, who is here to discuss George Harrison with us. Uh, he is the co-author of the great, great book uh, with Ken Womack, All Things Must Pass Away, which looked at uh, the making of All Things Must Pass as well as Layla and kind of the uh, parallel uh, recordings and friendship of uh, George Harrison and Eric Clapton, but he is a music historian par excellence. Oh, thank you, Tom. All right, and so got that, excellent. And he is the creator of the excellent and highly recommended podcast, uh, Producing the Beatles. So welcome back to the show, Jason Krupa. Jason, thank you. so thank good you. to see you. Yes, happy to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, glad to have you here. I know you're gonna have some great insights on this incredible album so before we get to that as always ken what's the news okay well it's been <laughs> several weeks now since our last show but i must start by saying that as we reported on our last show as part of the upcoming tribeca festival paul mccartney will be taping part of an interview uh, taking part in an interview, sorry, to promote his new book of early Beatle photos, 1964, Eyes of the Storm, which comes out June 13th. That's next week, folks. Conan O'Brien will be interviewing him on June the 15th at the Tribeca Performing Arts Center on Chambers Street in New York City. Paul's new book showcases 275 photos of the Beatles from late 1963 and early 1964 when Beatlemania erupted. And the conversation will later air on Conan's podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. And uh, hopefully on our next show, I won't be here for that show, but we should have a couple of special guests who will be there in the audience for the uh, McCartney yes. interview with Conan. Yeah. A brand new documentary film is in the works on the life of Beatles Apple's assistant, Chris O'Dell, to be called Miss O'Dell, Sex, Love, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, to be released later this year. George Harrison wrote the song Miss Odell, which honors her by name, and she also put out a book 
in 2009 on her career of the same name. And um, she has a lot of history with the Beatles on the Apple rooftop when they gave their final performance, was Peter Asher's personal assistant at Apple, became good friends with several of the Beatles' wives, uh, most especially Patty Boyd, and also worked for people like the Rolling Stones, Clapton, and Leon Russell. Now, if you live in Ohio, May Pang will have a photo exhibit of her candid photos of John this coming weekend, June 9th to the 11th at the Upfront Art Space in Cuyahoga Falls. And she'll also be hosting a special Q&A session after screening the new documentary film on her time with John, The Lost Weekend. That's actually uh, before the photo exhibit. That's this Thursday at the Nightlight Cinema. And that's in Akron. Now, this past week, actually a few days ago, um, there was a radio program that first aired on the BBC um, on John's birthday, October 9th of 1963, hosted by Ken Dodd. And I guess the program must have been lost for many years, but it's been recovered and it aired again on uh, BBC Radio 4. Ken Dodd was a, uh, a host of his own radio program, a comedian and musician. And I've listened to that show. If you're listening for Beatle content, there's a live performance of She Loves You, and that's it. There's no talking with the Beatles with Ken Dodd, nothing at all. Just that performance of She Loves You. But it just so happens that on BBC Radio 4, this entire week, they're celebrating uh, the Beatles' big breakthrough year in the UK of 1963, as it was 60 years ago. And they're gonna have a series of specials airing throughout the week. One of which is actually a drama, which they produced, in which the Beatles weren't signed by George Martin. <laughs> so wow. that's going on this week on uh, that channel, BBC Radio 4. Oh. Check your uh, attics and your bread baskets. You'll never know if you'll find something that's been <laughs> lost for 50 years. <laughs> I have to say that 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 performance of She Loves You has circulated, uh, but that is the best sounding version of that performance that that we have um, for the completest in the audience. If you want to you want to grab that. OK, um, great. Yeah. I'm just, just surprised a, there was no banter back and forth between Ken Dye yeah. and the Beatles. Nothing. They just played yeah. the song. And, yeah. I don't know. Weird. Uh, there's a new TV series on Disney Plus called Muppet Mayhem. It's based on the Muppets, Dr. Teeth, and the Electric Mayhem. And in the seventh episode called Eight Days a Week, Peter Jackson appears in a parody of the documentary Get Back with a lot of Beatle references in the episode. And the band does a performance of All You Need Is Love in that episode. Thanks Thank to you. Scott O'Rourke for that uh, information. Also, The Simpsons just celebrated their 750th show on May 21st, and in the show's introduction, they mixed in, they say, 750 characters, who I guess appeared in the show, which includes the Beatles. Thanks to Bob Myers, one of our viewers, for that information. To celebrate the 50th anniversary of the album we're celebrating tonight, George Harrison's Living in the Material World, that's made available now in Dolby Atmos. Amazon has it for a limited time, but uh, Apple Music will have it for an extended period of time. And to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the single for Live and Let Die, the song also is being made available in Dolby Atmos for the first time. 
on many platforms. Now, on May the 19th, the new tribute double CD was released honoring the late Pete Ham of Badfinger. It's called Shine On, a tribute to Pete Ham, and it's on YNT Records. There's 35 tracks in total. Some of the artists wow. involved in covering Pete's songs are Fernando Perdomo, our good friend who put together the Ramon tribute, okay, with Denny Sywell. Dennis Dyken of the Smithereens, who actually covers the song Dennis. Hmm. Uh, Reckless Eric. Whatever happened to him? Oh. Uh, Melanie and a good friend of Beatle Fan magazine, Ken Sharp. Ah, yeah. Not only a writer for Beatle Fan, but also putting out his own solo records oh. and the excellent book on double fantasy called Starting Over. Uh, Shine On, again, released on May the 19th. Um, also, that same day, uh, a new Pete Ham released. Uh, was called uh, called misunderstood came out this is a digital only release through distro kid and it's all demos that pete made the last few years of his life it's available on amazon music apple music and other streaming services and there are auto-generated videos to hear the entire album on youtube thanks to tom brennan for that information there's a few major passings to speak of first of all Chaz newbie yeah Chaz was the bass player in the Beatles for four dates in December of 1960. The Beatles had just returned from their first trip in Hamburg, and all the guys came back to England except for their bass player, Stu Sutcliffe, who stayed on in Hamburg. They had four dates booked, and they needed a bass player. And then Pete Best came to the rescue when he asked a member of his previous band, the Blackjacks, their guitarist, uh, Chaz Newby, to fill in. Chaz was not the bass player in that band, that belonged to Ken Brown, who had a falling out with the Beatles over a show that was done at the Casbah. Chaz had to rehearse with the Beatles and learn the bass. And he filled the bill for those four shows. But perhaps most important, he played their now famous Little in Town Hall date. And that was on December 27th, 1960. And it's now become a turning point looked at as being a turning point in Beale's history, as they had improved so much from all their playing in Hamburg that they became a great rock and roll band. And fans saw uh, they were advertised as being direct from Hamburg, and many fans that came to see them really thought they were German. It's been said that John Lennon asked him if he'd be interested in joining the band for when they returned to Hamburg, but Chaz said, uh, well, he denied this, thinking he wouldn't have asked him to replace his friend Stu. Chaz was on break from college at the time and had no real aspirations of having a career as a musician. He studied chemical engineering, had a career with that until he retired in 1998, but also taught math at a high school for a time after that. And in recent years, he actually joined the surviving members of the Quarrymen to play the songs the group did before they were famous. Chaz was 81 when he died. Uh, he actually was born on Paul's birthday, June the 18th, but a year before Paul. Um, in 2013, uh, on the show, Things We Said Today, my other podcast, back in the days when it was just Steve Marinucci and me, we interviewed Chaz over the phone. And he was delightful to talk to, a real down-to-earth guy who didn't try to make more of himself or live off of being a Beatle or of his connection with the Beatles. Think of all the people that like to inflate their importance in Beatle history. Mm -hmm. Chaz Newby was the exact opposite of that. He knew what he wanted to do. He was happy with the decision that he made. And that was it. No regrets. 
Yeah, um, I was just going to say, so he didn't show any re regrets at all or anything like that. That's been a long time. And he was happy for the Beatles' success. Um, if you want to hear that interview, we're going to provide the link in the description box. It's show number 50. It's only a half hour long. Delightful person to talk to, Chaz Newby. Yep, I'll put it in the description uh, after this airs. Okay, it's me and Steve Marinucci back in the early days. Oh. And actually, he did the foreword for Jim Birkenstadt's book on Jimmy Nickel. Oh, that's oh. right. So, yeah, that's how I got to interview him through Jim. Jim helped us get that uh, interview together. Cool. Very cool. Then, of course, the legend Tina Turner oh. passed away. Truly a, a, a great singer and performer, either uh, with her husband Ike or as a solo artist. She covered many Beatles songs, including Come Together, Let It Be, Hey Jude, Something. She came in through the bathroom window with a little help from my friends and Get Back. In fact, she performed Get Back with Paul McCartney at the yeah. Princess Trust Charity Show in 1986 with an amazing band. It's always fun to watch this. Go to YouTube, watch yes. it. Elton John is in the band. Eric Clapton, Phil Collins, Brian Adams, Paul Young. Um, plus, on her highly successful 1984 album, Private Dancer, she covered Help. Certainly one of the most dynamic performers ever. Tina Turner was 83. Mm. So that's I, really I, nice words on Facebook about it, uh, Kit. Yeah, I uh, got to see her um, in concert in uh, 2000. And uh, it was supposed to be her last tour. Uh, but she ended up, I think, doing one more tour after that. Uh, but, hmm. uh, but, oh, I, I mean, I'm so glad. You know, it's one of those times where, you know, there's so many artists who have passed where I think, you know, oh, I'm just kicking myself that I, I didn't see right. them. But I got to see her. Um, and, uh, wow, I mean, she just, she did not disappoint. She just held that crowd in the palm of her hand. Um, just an incredible singer. Uh, she had those great moves, and yeah, uh, yeah I mean, oh, I, I'm just so, I'm so blessed that I got to see your watch. Yeah. What a unique voice, blending R&B with rock. Exactly. Well, we'll consider her just as much a rock singer as an R&B singer. Well, and that's the thing, and, and, you know, when she made that comeback in the 80s, I mean, there were a few african-american female rock singers i mean you know she was mm. really a pioneer in that and right. uh and she you know she she really paved the way for a lot of other artists so greatly greatly missed yeah absolutely all right finally we also mourn the loss of one of the most successful songwriters of the rock era cynthia Weil. This is a very thin connection with the Beatles, but I thought I had to mention this because of the incredible legacy that she has left. Along with her husband, Barry Mann, as well as others, she wrote many incredible songs, very much in the same category as a Carole King or Burt Bacharach, um, or any of the, the Brill Building writers. Songs like You've Lost That Love and Feeling, Soul and Inspiration, Only in America, Hicks for Paul Revere and the Raiders, we got to get out of this place for the animals on Broadway. The Drifters and George Benson had hits with that. B.J. Thomas, I Just Can't Help Believe It and Rock and Roll Lullaby. Monkey Songs, Shades of Grey. Oh. Um, her only connection I could find with the Beatles is that she and husband Barry wrote a song that was recorded by Arthur Alexander, which the Beatles covered live. Where Have You Been All My Life? 
also covered by Gene Vincent and Jerry and the Pacemakers. The Beatles version you can actually hear on their Live at the Star Club recordings. All right, and just a reminder, Ringo Starr right now in the middle of his spring tour, uh, which runs through June the 17th, and then he will follow that later on with a full uh, tour September 17th through October the 13th. And all the dates are listed on Ringo's website, ringostar.com. That's it for now. Oh. All right. Thank you, Ken. Always, always the man with the news. <laughs> all right. So let's get to our main uh, focus for tonight, which is the 50th anniversary. Oh, you got it now, Tom. Of, <laughs> of George Harrison's 1973 album, Living in the Material World. Hard to believe it's 50 years old, but uh, indeed it is. And um, this is a, a, an album with a very interesting legacy, and there's a lot to talk about tonight. And so before we get into the actual album, I thought it would be useful to first talk about the context of, of the album, because so many of the lyrics, I, I think, you know, we, we talked about this before the show, they're so personal. I mean, this is such a personal album, um, because he was going through quite a bit um, at the time. I mean, he had, he had so much um, going on personally. Um, so why don't we, we start with that? Um, so Jason, you, you know, you mentioned that the, you know, before we went on the air you, that you had a lot to say about this. So, so, you know, you said he was stretching himself pretty thin by 1973 so what in in what sense well i think i mean this this is sort of uh you know just in terms of george's frame of mind even starting in 1970 and sort of building up to 74 which i think we all see as a big break um you know 74 he's obviously he's he produces four albums in, a, in 12 months time and just burns himself out and i think we see sort of shades of that here where he's you know he's working on other projects i don't I, I don't have a good sense for how much he worked on Tin Man with a Dreamer, the Nicky Hopkins album that he he's on. Uh, he's only on four cuts, as Ken pointed out for the show. Um, so, you know, he is involved in other projects. He's involved in, a, you know, a Nielsen session. He's working with Ringo. And, um, you know, so th there's that there's that element of, you know, starting to go into other projects that aren't really his, you know, hit, focused on his album. But, you know, the, the personal issues that have been going on really since 1970 and maybe before where, you know, his marriage is on the rocks and um, he he's the situation with Alan Klein has really, you know, by this point has really turned sour. And, you know, there's, there's a fallout from Bangladesh because of because of Klein that he has to deal with, um, you know, in the situation with with Paul in particular is not good. I, I think, you know, I think about that all the time is like, these guys were childhood friends and, and they came to this point where they just, it broke. And that really has to do something, you know, to you. Um, and he, you know, he talked about all things must pass being a very difficult time where he's got the Beatles break up. He's got his mother dies, you know, right in the middle of making that, um, you know, again, things with Patty are rough and uh, you know, Phil Spector, in the middle of 
of uh, post-production kind of goes AWOL and he has to be sent back to the U.S. for rehab. And so there's, you know, there's a rough time there and it sort of, it doesn't really stop. You know, he, he, he takes on a lot with Bangladesh and, and that doesn't really turn out the way he hopes it will. So he's, you know, the stress is building in him and he's turning to his spirituality as kind of a, you know, a, a soft place to land or a safe place to, to deal with that. And I'm, I'm not sure that it really did everything it needed to do um, for him. Cause he, you know, he's, he's beginning to use cocaine and you can sort of see him, you know, he crashes his car in February 72. Uh, he, he's sort of starting to live this rock and roll lifestyle in Los Angeles, um, you know, at, uh, at Bonzo's birthday party uh, in, uh, in 72, was 72 or no, that's in 73. Mm. Uh, you know where you know he puts he puts the cake on his head and Keith Moon throws him and Patty in the pool and it's just sort of like these are individual you know moments um, but it it seems like George is not necessarily living this sort of ascetic spiritual lifestyle he's sort of dipping into more of a the rock and roll lifestyle and then other things you know personal things are clearly going on um, and I you know I think it's starting to show on this album. But he's lucid enough that he's that he's able to observe some of that and write about it and and connect. I mean, there's some really, really powerful stuff on this album, powerful lyrics, powerful music um, that I, you know, I think we, you know, the review, some of the reviews said it's a very personal album, almost as personal as John Lennon Plastic Ono Band. I agree with that. I think George was a very personal writer. I don't think he, you know, I think he was experiencing something. He had to talk about it. He had to write about it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm actually very glad you brought up the John Lennon comparison yes, because go that, ahead. <laughs> that was perfect. I, that that was leading me into something I was going to ask you, Ken. Um, yeah. That uh, that one of the the uh, quotes that I wondered if you would uh, react to is uh, one uh, from the. A book uh, from that uh, Simon Lang uh, wrote, a, a you know good um, kind of a musical biography of John Lennon. Um, says uh, while George Harrison was bursting with musical confidence, living in the material world found him in roughly the same place that John Lennon was when he wrote "Help," shocked by the rush rush of overwhelming success and desperately wondering where it left him. So, do you think? You know, do you think this was, in a way, uh, living in the material world? I mean, was this kind of his, almost like a Plastic Ono Band album, or what? What do you think? I've often made that parallel. I mean, mm -hmm. we admire John so much for bearing his soul on Plastic Ono Band and telling you how he felt about all the pain he went through his life. And here's George doing the same thing because I think with John and George, they were the ones that were probably the most frustrated or disenchanted with their success and fame you know you're 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 raised to believe this is what you want fame money girls that's where it's at and the beatles had everything you could possibly ever hope for in buckets and still you know john and george were not very happy and um so i think that in the case of george spirituality was the answer for him while he was also living this rock and roll there's this duality going on at the same time mm -hmm. so actually 
I want to read something in response to that, if I can find it, because Rob Sheffield wrote something in Rolling Stone magazine. And this for the we'll 50th return to that as well, but go ahead. Yeah, but this <laughs> just just listen to what what he says here. Um, the title of his article, how George Harrison's 1973 album Living in the Material World went from reviled dud to sleeper masterpiece. He wrote <laughs> over the years, living in the material world got a bad reputation as a preach and screech mess. Like Paul McCartney's Ram, which was universally despised for decades, Material World was sitting on the rubbish heap until modern indie rock hipsters discovered it and realized it was genius. Time has finally caught up with it. Listen to this. It doesn't have the uplifting appeal of All Things Must Pass, but that's the point. All Things Must Pass is an ex-Beatle making a big spiritual statement. Material World is, is the album of a very confused prematurely bitter, slightly deranged dude about to turn 30, wondering why his life is no fun after his success. He sees betrayal and paranoia all around him. No wonder it sounds realer than ever in 2023. How concise wow. and really to the point right there. I mean, yeah, he kind of sums it up right there in that paragraph, but it's still made for great songs with incredible um, personal and intimate lyrics that let you know where his mind was at. And just like I admired John for saying the things that he said, imagine the guts that it takes John Lennon to say, I don't believe in Beatles, or I don't believe in Elvis or Dylan or, or Zimmerman. <laughs> um, and here's George, you know, doing songs like The Light That Has Lighted the World, where he's telling people that he's changed, that he's not the same person that he was. And he respects the people who can accept that and let him continue on his journey. You know, because there is, there's always going to be those people out there. None of us could ever possibly understand, no matter how much we read and study the Beatles, what it was like to be one of the four of them. Right. And for the rest of their lives, no matter how much solo music and how much success they were to have there'll be people out there that will always think of them as Beatles first and I think George had a tough time dealing with that I think they all did in, in their own way but I think the light that has lighted the world it, definitely that illustrates that in song and so just like I admired John so much for his honesty and the rawness of Plastic Ono Band I admire George in the same way because the, there's a common thread throughout most of the songs of this album about spirituality and how that's kind of, you know, the most important thing in his life. The material world doesn't matter. You know, mm -hmm. it's finding God. That's what matters. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so it, there are some definite, you know, there are some parallels definitely yeah. uh, between this and, and Plastigono. Now, you mentioned all things must pass and uh and i want to get your thoughts on this too jason but i'm, I'm going to first throw this over to tom so okay so george of course comes roaring out of the gate you know with first with well not counting wonderwall and so and so forth with all things must pass it's an enormous hit you know triple album uh and how is he going to follow that up? I mean, can you imagine the pressure 
you know, he must have been under to produce this. And what, how do you think, you know, this album, like the approach, the sound, you know, how do you think it differs from All Things Must Pass, you know, just generally? Yeah, well, one production, right? We don't have that wall of sound, like I think Jason or Ken said. I mean, also the other thing too, you know, we, we talked about, Jason talked about the stress and whatnot. I mean, he could have easily drawn from the well from all those songs he had left over, right? He didn't have to write 10 brand new songs from for the most part, um, you know what I mean? Um, instead, he, he, he takes on that challenge and, and does all these songs that are personal to him. Um, you look at a, the lyrics of this and you see a lot of me and I uh, in the lyrics. So I feel like this is more or less him talking to himself. And then if you agree with him, like Ken said, with like, you know, the light of has lighted the world, you know, then then great. But um, I don't know if I really believe that, you know, he cared whether or not if this album did anywhere, <laughs> anywhere near as well as, as all things must pass. Right. I mean, um, and, and to be honest, you know, to be honest with you, when I first got this album, I mean, besides, you know, Give Me Love and Sue Me, Sue You Blues and a couple other songs, I didn't really, you know, see can see the connection or or anything like that until till recently you know there's sometimes there's those albums where you get and you know and it, you just don't connect with it right away yeah. and for mm -hmm. me it, it, it took 30 years to finally connect with this album yep. you know and it and, and when it hits you it, it's it's great and um and I'll tell you, I mean, I think it was probably two or three years ago listening to this album again or when or when you know all the uh, the remasters came out reissues and just listening to it again and and finally taking that time because when we're kids you know we have that time to to look at the lyrics right we have the time to look at the cover and and, and really examine the album as 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 we as um because we have really no responsibilities right and then when we get older and when i finally got in got the album in in the early 90s you know i was already working i was hustle bustle so I really didn't, you know, maybe understand the album as maybe as, as well as I should. But uh, now I, I, th I do think and I do agree with maybe with what um, Rob Sheffield said. So I'm glad you read you, you read that, Ken, because I can I can kind of relate to uh, to what he said. Yeah, slightly, I think slightly deranged what? dude. <laughs> well, maybe not that part. Maybe not that part. <laughs> there, are, there are a number of lines yeah. in that piece that, I, right. that I'm like, were you thinking a dark horse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sort of describes a later version of George that we haven't quite gotten to yet. Yeah. Really yep, yep. But no, I, I agree, Tom. I because I, I didn't connect with this album initially either. You know, I mean, except for a few mm. songs. I think, yeah, you have to be older and, and have some life experience and all. I, I agree. I think to really, yeah. you know, connect with it. That's true. Now, Jason, since of course you worked on the book with with Ken uh about uh all things with pass and Layla and uh and you've been doing research obviously into george harrison uh and you know how do you think he approached um living the material world differently than all things must pass well it's a much it's a much more focused affair as far as the musicians involved I mean, it was just a handful of people um as opposed to sort of a revolving door there were you know pretty consistent lineups as far as core musicians and all things must pass but it was 
uh, it's especially the first maybe third of the sessions, Phil Spector's, you know, more is more approach was, was dominant. And so you would pull in 10, 11, 12 people into a session and, you know, George began to, began to put that under control and you hear songs like if not for you and behind that locked door that's george sort of these are much smaller sessions and those all happen around the same time and then Der derek and the dominoes come in and then they kind of you know have this big sound again so i you know i would liken this to those sort of middle period sessions for all things must pass where he's got a smaller group and he's he's doing more intimate songs and so you don't really see you know a lot of crazy guest stars on this you do see you know, sort of, um, you, you see his, you know, Jim Keltner and you see Gary Wright and you see Klaus Vorman, you see these people. I mean, the real star as far as, you know, instrumentally other than George's slide guitar is Nicky Hopkins, who, yeah. you know, just really um, adds a, I was just listening to the album today in preparation for this and wasn't sort of paying attention to lyrics. It was just sort of music in the background. And it's just, there's so many beautiful little touches. So, you know, it is production, it's music, it's, it's the, you know, the, the core of the musicians that he chose to use, um, you know, people that he trusted. And it was a very, a very, I wouldn't say it's an intimate album. Some of it is very intimate. There's, there are also some bigger productions, uh, but they're not, they're not really, you know, Spectre's productions, even though he has, he has John Barham do a couple of string arrangements for him. So there's that, so, you know, still that scale in a couple of cases. But, uh, you know, definitely makes a big difference recording at home. So he's not at EMI. He has sort of the time to do whatever he wants to do. And it's, you know, so it's very cozy. It's very, he can be laid back. He can take his time and and do these songs the way he, he feels like he needs to do them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you just well, provided me. I don't want to. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry, no, John. Saying, I mean, it, the, the, the credits does say it was recorded at Apple Studio. Some of it. Yeah, some of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, but Klaus has yeah. gone on record saying, like, that was done at home. Um, okay. You know, so I and I got to go with Klaus on that for, yeah. for the most part. But, I mean, I haven't really looked into the the credits. But, I mean, he he definitely spent some time at home, you know, working on this. He may have yeah. done, like, the bigger, like, string. Mid, the string recording might have been done at Apple Studios. Mm -hmm. Can I add something okay. to what Jason just said? Because not only is this a great core of musicians, they're great musicians just on their ability, but they know how to play to the song and exactly what George mm. needed. Yeah. And yeah. that is what is said quite often about Nicky Hopkins. There was some quote, and, and I know Pete Townsend said it, but he just has the right touch. He never overdoes. Yeah. He never tries to uh, steal the spotlight or anything. He just lays down the right part and... Before we recorded this show tonight, we were talking about the light that has lighted the world, and there's that little piano solo in the middle oh. there, and it's just perfect. It's mm -hmm. just what the song needs. So not only did George have the knack for surrounding himself with really talented people, but people that knew how to treat his songs right and what it needed. And um, and Nicky Hopkins is is a star, <laughs> you know, on, yeah. on this album definitely. Yeah. He really is. You're absolutely right. Um, before we get to individual songs, I also want to mention, and everybody uh, watching out there, feel free to uh, add your comments as well. Uh, you talked about uh, Jason production. Uh, we also need to talk about this is George's first time producing himself. 
Um, Phil Spector was, uh, shall we say, not exactly uh, available for uh, for this <laughs> album. Uh, he was having some problems of his own. Let's yes. uh, let's put it that not really exactly up to doing this album. A little unreliable and, uh, you know, so forth. So George finally said, to heck with it, I'm producing myself. So what do you guys make of uh, his production style, of, of, of his producing himself on this, as opposed to, say, um, the Spectre style on uh, All Things Must Pass? Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think to, to, to bounce off Jason, I think he's exactly right. I mean, the, the cast of characters he has uh, in the studio with him are, are exactly what he needs to take a little bit of the stress off of producing himself. He doesn't have to do everything uh, on this album. And, and the, the characters, whether it's, um, you know, Vorman or, or Keltner or, or Nikki, I mean, the, they're all reliable musicians and he knows that he can get the best out of them. And I think that's probably, um, you know, a big difference maker for him instead of just getting, you know, any old buddy. So I think that was probably, you know, one of the best things about, about the record or, or, you know, producing the record for him, you know, less stress in that way, I would say. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, one thing that I would like to find out, I hope I can classify this and Dark Horse, maybe through the parts that he played on that, on that album is um, the, the difference in having a producer in the control room versus doing it yourself is that you have somebody who can be paying attention to the sound and can say that doesn't sound good or maybe try this again or do this differently who can direct things and hear things that you can't hear if you're the musician you have to divide your brain in half and produce yourself while playing and listening to you know what's happening with the musicians do you sound good you know what's the overall sound like so I imagine that, you know, that added a layer of responsibility that would distract him a little bit. Um, but I mean, I think it's a very polished sounding album. It's, it's actually kind of a shock how polished it is in compared to All Things Must Pass, which is also polished, but it's, it's a different, much different kind of polish. Oh. Um, mm. this, is, this is getting into like, I mean, some of it is the music, some of it's the chords and, and the arrangements. It's almost, I, I don't want to use the word smooth as, as derogatory, but right. it's, it's, it is smooth, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's kind of a pop album as opposed to, you know, a rock, a straight ahead rock album. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, but I think, I think, you know, again, to the musicianship, it's it's all just very very high quality it's very skillfully done um, and i you know i think that's the production in hand with the you know the players that he chose and the way they work together no mm. mm -hmm. yep. um i definitely think that um the fact that this was a simpler production because it didn't have the the wall of sound of phil specter and you all know from watching this show how much I, I support Phil Spector on All Things Was Passed because not only were the songs great, but I think the production had a lot to do with the success of All Things Must Pass at that time. And um, for people nowadays that would prefer something simpler that don't really want, that feel that, feel that Phil Spector overproduced, they probably would prefer something more like living in the material world. And so like Jason was talking about certain songs on All Things Must Pass, like Behind That Locked Door, 
more simpler, stripped down, maybe an Apple scruff, something like that. This is continuing in that vein production-wise. But I also think that because I feel that lyrically this is as intimate as George has ever been with his lyrics, and his lyrics are very personal. Anything spiritual is still personal. But I think what he's saying about himself in these songs, the fact that it's not covered by a wall of sound makes it even more intimate. Yeah. You know, you can't get more intimate than be here now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just a guy with a guitar and not much else. And he doesn't have to elaborate. He doesn't need orchestration on it. And, uh, and it works for what he's trying to achieve and the message of that song. So I think that the production of, of this album is important. But then again, I'm sure I would have loved these songs if Phil Spector co-produced it with George anyway. <laughs> but I love it even more because I think that it brings the messages of the songs out more when you don't have to be so concerned about reverb and and echo and yeah, you know, so many musicians on one track. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I think I, yeah. we'll oh, talk about I it, just... but Be Here Now is a perfect track. I mean, yeah. that is yeah. just that's my favorite track on the album. Yeah, um, it is, yeah. I've said this before, and I will say this many, many times. Uh, anytime anyone wants to talk about this song, it is the perfect encapsulation of George's what he wants to express in song spiritually. Yeah, it, it's even more than my sweet lord. It it's mm -hmm. you know it's it is the essence of what he's getting at. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And, do, do we want to do we want to talk about the? sort of the the reception uh, of the album at the time or do we want to wait to the end oh uh, yeah we we can talk about that i just wanted to add one more thing about the production sure. just uh, just that uh that i i agree i that i think as a producer he made some really wise choices uh with this album i think in terms of as as you guys have mentioned the uh the musicians that he worked with you know he selected people that he was already comfortable with that uh that you know would you know, really know what to do with his songs and then boy, did they ever. Um, and, you know, I think he definitely learned, you can tell he learned a lot from Phil Spector. Um, you know, like a Don't Let Me Wait Too Long, I think is a Phil Spector-ish kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, you can, you can hear the influence there. Uh, you can hear some influence though, I think with George Martin um you know with some of the the strings and and the kind of arrangements you know that that you know that he knew how to produce a song that wasn't too overwhelming uh in arrangement it had a nice clear sound so you could hear the influence i mean you could hear that he had definitely taken lessons you know from people he had worked with but uh he definitely understood that these were songs that did need a larger than life production like on songs on uh, all things must pass so uh, so yeah overall as a producer i agree i think uh, he worked very well so okay let's get to um the reception at the time uh so uh so this album comes out as i mentioned boy did it have a hard act to follow uh with uh, with all things must pass um but uh but some uh, reviewers gave it a very good uh good reception on the whole. Uh, Rolling Stone's review um, of the period uh, gave it a very positive uh, uh, review. I thought it was a worthy successor uh, to um, to All Things Must Pass. Thought it called it a pop classic, I believe. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, but there were some 
mixed reviews as well. So Jason, you you had some some thoughts on this. Well, I mean, the first thing is to rejoin to 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 respond to that headline of the Rob, Robert uh, the um the Rob Rob Rolling Stone. Yeah, yeah. the chef. Yeah, yeah. He's you've been dying to talk about this all day. <laughs> I mean, that that has popped up on my on my social media. I don't know a hundred times in the past week, and I'm so like I'm so sick of it because, I mean reviled dud i think i mean that's that's a clickbait headline that's exactly what that mm -hmm. is it was not reviled it was not a dud i went to number one uh it was certified gold yep. two week two two days two mm -hmm. days after it was released um and you know give me love was a number one hit in the u.s it got a i think it got a much more favorable reception in the u.s than it did in the uk i think it was more mixed in the uk yes it was. but even melody maker um on June 9th, 1973, gave it on a page three full page preview, a rave review. So, you know, there are there are very, very positive reviews at that time. There are some that are saying it's too preachy. It's this, you know, Robert Christgau, who is, you know, just notorious for being a crank, did not like George. <laughs> mm. um, although he did like Deep Blue. He loved that song, which is such a, you know, to me, kind of a left field thing where I think I know Robert Criscow. And then I read that and I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I totally expected him to just trash that song as, as long as everything else, but he didn't. Um, you know, Robert Hilburn in the LA Times gives it a, a poor review, but, you know, fans are writing back in the newspapers and they're saying, you know, I, there's one called Defense of George Harrison. And, and someone says, you have to look at this. George is, you know, singing about these spiritual matters. You have to look deeply into what he's saying. Um, so I, you know, it was definitely not dud. It was not reviled. I do think the fact that it came out after All Things Must Pass meant that it kind of got lost in the shadow of that album. And, you know, the, the reappraisal that's happened, I think, is warranted because, you know, with time, we can now see it in, you know, with much different eyes, hear it with much different ears. Um, I mean, Ram was definitely reviled. Mm. That was, you know, the sort of the, the whipping boy of all rock you know cool rock critics for decades who were just like oh, i'm too cool to like ram but you know that's that was a great album from the jump too um i don't think i don't think uh you know this was anywhere near as as dumped on as that even over the years i think people just maybe ignored it but yeah the, i you know, I, and I think it was i think it was received fairly well and i it's really a shame that he didn't release don't let me wait too long as a single because I think it was, yeah. you know, even farther. <clears throat> do you do you think the shadow was that long of from all things was past being two years later that you know you think that this album still would have been overshadowed by? All I, things I don't past? think that it was necessarily overshadowed at the time. I think people were expecting a lot from this album yeah. because it was following all things must pass. But I think what's happened is that. Over the decades, it has gotten lost in the shadow of that album because it was just such a grand statement, and George never really matched anything like that again. You know, Cloud Nine was a huge hit, and the Traveling Wilburys' first album, you know, is a lot of fun, um, but he never really made a grand statement like that. And you know, another thing with this and with All Things Must Pass is he did no press for either of them. Yeah, good point. Yeah, interesting. George, George is really sort of the anti-career musician. He he just really did not say, okay, what do I, you know, Paul, on the other hand, is the, is the exact opposite of that, where he's just like Mr. Show Business and, you know, let's do the interview, let's do the promo, let's do this. And 
and George is not like that. You know, George is just, he wanted to do these things. And I think, you know, what you said earlier is that George didn't really care about this following anything up. And I don't really think he cared much about sales, you know, yeah. it was, yep. it, it's a, it's, for anybody who's you know looks at how musicians handle things now it just seems kind of strange but you know he was a beetle so um you know maybe he was thinking like i don't really need to do press not not in kind of a conceited you know they'll buy it anyway way but just just kind of like i'll put it out they knew who i am you know it'll speak for itself well do you think because there were times when george did promote his stuff Yes. And maybe that was because the record company pushed him, yeah. like with 33 and a third or with yeah. Cloud Nine. Oh, for sure. They pushed so, him. So, um, yeah. And I also read a quote from George where he said that he had enough success with the Beatles and from all things must pass to satisfy his ego. So maybe, mm. you know, after all things must pass, it didn't matter as much how well his record sold. It probably mattered more to the record company. Sure. Yep. Um, but uh, oh, what was I going to say? I was just for good. I was just going to say something just brilliant. And, and I, I know, <laughs> I'm sure it would have been transformative. <laughs> it was going to change everything we thought of about this, this album. Now it's gone out of my brain. Well, I'll think of it. But uh, but I, I think, um, oh, I know. I remember. Um, so, yeah, some authors, uh, I think Robert Rodriguez, maybe Simon Lang, I'm not sure, have term this a forgotten blockbuster um mm -hmm. at this album. and yeah and i think it's it's interesting because as you as uh uh you pointed out jason that yeah i mean it was a number one album uh it did i mean it did sell and it had of course a number one single and so it wasn't like it was a flop uh mm. in, in any way but i think you're right that i mean how could it compete and it's you know and probably it's not fair to compare it with all things must pass. I mean, it's a different, you know, it's a different album, but you know, I think over the years it has been overshadowed by certainly by all things must pass, even by probably cloud nine, 33 and a third to an extent yeah. traveling little bears. I mean, it's just not the first album that people think of when they, when they think of George Harrison. Yeah. I mean, if you look at say Paul's discography in the early seventies or John's, there's a particular shape like, you know, John comes out of the gate with Plastic Ono Band, which does okay, but it's more, you know, Imagine is really the more successful album. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, he dips a little bit for a couple of years, then he comes back strong with Walls and Bridges. And right. I, I wonder, you know, George sort of dipped with, I mean, people maybe, maybe perceived that this is a bit of a dip because it was less bold, it was less of a grand st statement. But then he does Dark Horse, which I think is a real, you know, tough album for a lot of people. Um, and he, you know, he is this kind of anti-careerist musician. And I wonder if, you know, he had, he had been kept, he had kept building on all things must pass. And this was sort of the first step and sort of, you know, if, if his, you know, this would be remembered differently and if his career in the seventies would be remembered differently. Yeah. Well, it's, how I can it, add, you know, oh, go ahead, Ken. Go ahead. How could it be perceived as a dip living in the material world when it was number one? For five well, no, that's uh, you know I I agree <laughs> I know I I don't think and I again I want to push back against the Sheffield thing about you know it's a reviled dud and all that um, I I don't think it was a dip I'm I'm saying that Dark Horse instead of building you know one record after another Dark Horse is a pretty strong drop 
at least for me. Mm -hmm. And I think commercially it was, you know, and critically it was a, a pretty, like the tour, everything, he just got trashed. And I think it was hard coming back from that. Um, yeah. Especially mm -hmm. with Rolling Stone yeah. not, not helping at all. Right. Uh, well, I mean, you can also look at the sales too. I mean, the, the total sale, I mean, did it, did it sell as well as, as all, I mean, yeah, it might have gone to number one for, for five weeks, but that doesn't mean it might not have sold as well as, as right. all things must pass. But, but also the other thing I want to say too, was, is that for someone like Kit and I, who, you know, we're not, we didn't grow up with these albums, right? But we had to, right. we had those reviews, right? We had, oh, right. it's too preachy or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So maybe that would have, that would have scared some people away from, from going back and listening to that album. Right. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Changed, yeah. It kind of tainted our perception. Yeah. In the, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. So, uh, all right. Well, let's get to the songs, and uh, and of course, uh, uh, everybody, uh, uh, everybody out there, uh, got to get a Paul reference in here, even though we're not <laughs> talking about him. Um, uh, please uh, weigh in on uh, on your thoughts uh, as well. Um, let's uh, let's talk about the songs that uh, we like the most. We've dropped a couple of hints along the way about songs we think are particularly strong, but uh, but let's uh, let's continue that conversation. So um, uh, Tom, why don't we start with you? What are what are some of, of your favorites that you think are particularly the strongest uh, on this yeah. album? You know, I, 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 I loved assuming Sue You Blues right away. Uh, just a fun track. Um, I love the instrumentation on that album. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the 45 second fade out. <laughs> I think that goes on maybe a little, a little too long. But mm -hmm. uh, but I got to tell you, um, you know, songs like the light is the light that has lighted the world. Um, I really really fell in love with um, when when these reissues came out and you know lyrics like it's funny how people just won't accept change as if nature itself they pref they prefer to rearrange. Um, you know, just wonderful stuff. And and to be honest with you, you know, the more I listen to this album, I don't feel it's preachy at all. Um, I don't know if any of you guys, you know, feel that way, but I I, I really don't feel that way. Uh, don't let me wait too long. You know, again, the single that number was, we talk about that every time we we mention that song. It's 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 just a, I think it's a great pop uh, pop song uh, myself. Um, uh, who can see it? Uh, another beautiful song. I've seen my life belongs to me. My love belongs to who can see it. I mean, probably my favorite, you know, lyrics on, on the album, um, uh, myself. Um, I like what he says about in this book, I mean, mine about living in the material world about how he feels like it's the body. That's the material, not necessarily everything I have in this man cave. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's his, Good point. it's his, mm -hmm. it's his body. That's the material. Um, I was born in this material world, getting worn out in the material world, use my body like a car, you know, taking me both near and far. I, I really um, find that a fascinating, fascinating lyric. Um, I even like the, the Lord loves the one, you know, even though that's probably to me, it's probably, you know, one of the more preachier songs, but it, it grew. I think it's got a nice hook to it. And I think it's, you know, got a nice uh, pop ring to it. Um, be here now, uh, again, like Jason, I, I don't know, I think maybe Ken for you too. I, this might be the best song on the album. Um, beautiful. I love the, the acoustic guitar work at the beginning before he even starts singing. Uh, the past was be here now as it's not like it was before it was, uh, you know, I, I love that line. Um, the last two songs, the day uh, the world gets round and that is all, you know, 
I haven't really connected with those two. I mean, maybe, but I, I just don't see, I feel like the, the day is world gets around. Maybe that might be the preachiest thing on the album. Um, but, uh, that is always fine as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Sue Me, Sue Blues, The Light That Has Lighted the World, Don't Let Me Wait Too Long. That middle, that whole middle section of the album, I mm. think is just, you know, just fantastic with, with Ken, like you said, I mean, lyrically, I think this might be one of the, some of his best lyrics, uh, mm. in his career. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Great picks all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, Jason, uh, you've, you've mentioned one already that, uh, that you really like, uh, but, uh, but what other, uh, what else do you uh, really like? About uh, well, I mean, to start with Be Here Now, you can yeah. put this song on a loop, and I have put it on a loop, and just listen to it, <laughs> because it does have that sort of meditative quality to it, and so it's not just mm-hmm. in the lyrics, it's, it is a meditative song, and, and you know, sort of this Zen ideal that, that George is talking about, but be here now, um, living in the present. Uh, you know, musically, lyrically, it just, it is all of a, of, you know, of a piece, as, as we say. Um, you know, Give Me Love is a great song. I've loved that song since I must have heard it sometime in the early 80s for the first time. Great song. Um, and don't, you know, I, my reservation about Don't Wait, Let Me Wait Too Long is that it feels a little underwritten. Like, I feel like there need to be a little more, little more in the way of lyrics but you know it's incredibly catchy and yeah. and his voice sounds so good and the music you know it's just the groove is great so you know I, you can nitpick things like that but if you're tapping your foot well it's, it's head, yeah it's it's that album's ding dong ding dong maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, i think it's a little better than ding dong yeah <laughs> but, but no, lyrically wise but i, I know what, i yeah. see what you're saying yeah hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do think some of the lyrics are, it's almost like they're, for my taste, they are too direct, and I and I wish they were maybe a little more poetic, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, again, just listening today, like I had it on the background, and I'm, and I was sort of half paying attention to the lyrics, I, it didn't really, it didn't really register, it was just all of this, like, oh, this is such a, like, musically engaging album you know song to song and and i mean i think the day the world gets round and i think that is all a reaching but you know my take on that is you know like you say he's talking to himself he always said that he was talking to himself and the impression i get is somebody who's really reaching for something spiritually and you know that to me is something i think very relatable not you know we're never perfect we're never going to get there we're never going to be fully enlightened we're never going to have this perfect be this perfect spiritual being while living in the material world, you know, it's just not going to happen. And, and I think, you know, thematically, if you want to look at it that way, and that's the way I'm interpreting it right now is, you know, all these songs are about that. They're about that reaching, Um, you know, whether or not they make a good pop song is I think a matter of taste. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of great pop songs on here that, that I think do make that point. They do connect. So, I mean, give me love, sue me, sue you blues. Don't wait too long. Be here now. Um, I mean, I think that whole first side is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, you know, even try some, buy some. I, th- I mean, it's a big, big sounding song. Um, I guess some of the lyrics are a little clunky, but, you know, I I very happily listened to the whole record. <laughs> it was not like, oh, I have to skip <laughs> that song. You know? yeah. Right. It, it's, uh, uh, you know, I I can I like anybody. I could be very critical and nitpick, but I'm not going to do that because I you know I feel like 
I, you know, I have a good, a good uh, overall feeling about this album. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's only grown over the years. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm glad that people are talking more positively about it. I will say just as a total like sound, you know, guy who cares about how things sound. I have never found a digital release of this that sounds as good as the Japanese reissue that was done. It just, mm. it's clear, crystal clear, you know, it, it's just like, I can hear the depth and the detail mm. of these songs. So if, you know, if anybody has the opportunity or the means of listening to the Japanese pressing of this, I'd say go for it. Cause it, it even better than the recent remasters. Um, wow. you know, maybe they'll do a Dolby. Have they done an Atmos mix of this? I, yeah, I don't they just did. They did. Okay. Oh, I'd like okay. to, hear, I'd like to hear that to see mm-hmm. it, you know, what, what, the comparison is um but if you're in 2d space like i am <laughs> most of the time uh it's that japanese pressing very cool mm. we'll check that out mm. all right uh i'm gonna go next because we're gonna save the best for last <laughs> this is ken's favorite album so uh he's he's gonna have a lot to say uh so i'm gonna say uh give me love give me peace on earth and uh, not not only one of my favorite tracks on this album one of my favorite george tracks period i i just uh it's it's just you know really encapsulates uh i think george's you know spirituality and, and you some people have said well it's my sweet lord part two well okay but so what <laughs> I, I, I disagree with that i don't think mm-hmm. it is at all i mean i think yeah. it's talking about the same themes but it's 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 a different song it's a much different production yeah right. for sure yeah for sure i mean they said well it has the you know the gradual like kind of you know climax to the you know the adding the instruments well fine but it's yeah. it, it's it's beautifully done love sue me sue you blues uh, as I said uh, before the show, I love Pissed Off George, and this is vintage Pissed Off George. Um, love the kind of square, almost square dance kind of uh, uh, motif, uh, and uh, but also the you know sort of blues, uh, obviously as the title suggests, um, uh, kind of uh, genre that he mixes in. Uh, you know, pretty bitingly funny uh, lyrics and great vocal from George. Um, the light that has lighted the world, I'll tell you, that extended instrumental passage with Nicky Hopkins and then George's guitar, that is stunning. I mean, Nicky Hopkins, we talked about this for the show and talked a little bit during the show. Nicky Hopkins is one of the stars of, of this album. I mean, his playing is just sublime. I mean, it, it really, and this, al- this I, I just found it so moving on, on this track. That, that that whole passage, um, I mean, it almost brings you to tears. It, it, it just was so moving to me. And uh, and I forgot to mention on Sumi Sumi Blues, love Jim Keltner's drumming on that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, you know, just just uh, what a what a pro. Um, be here now, um, as uh, all of you have talked about. I really appreciated what uh, George did with his vocals on it. Almost uh, particularly at the beginning, imitating that the the drone um you know i i really uh, love how he was experimenting with his voice there um and again as we talked about the spiritual meaning of uh you know living in the moment um i also love that as all i i really found this uh, also a moving song and it's one of those songs that george does so well 
could be spiritual, could be a love song, you know, right. I mean, yep. could be either one. Um, I loved Klaus's bass uh, on that mm -hmm. song. Um, in addition to Give Me Love, uh, yeah. I mean, that's vo the oh, the bass on yeah. that's incredible too. Yeah. Um, but I just I thought that that is all is it's just uh, not only a great way to close out the album, but just uh, um, I just thought a stunningly beautiful poetic song. Um, you know, just uh, as I said, could be a love song. Um, but but could be, you know, a, a spiritual uh, song. Right. Well, right. So I just I thought that was just gorgeous, um, poetic, you know. So so those were my uh, my top choices. So okay, Ken. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> Take it away. I, I I love the entire album. It's an album that when it first came out, I loved instantly. And it only gets stronger through time, mm -hmm. because when you're reaching out to your audience and you're you're bearing your soul to the world and saying what really is important to you, like I said earlier, what John did with Plastic on Old Band, it takes a lot of guts to do that, and it may not be what your fans want to hear, but that's how he feels, and you either accept him this way or you don't. Um, I've often said one of the reasons why I love the Beatles so much is being a melody guy. You got three of the most melodic songwriters in the history of rock and roll, greatest melodic songwriters, and George is no exception. And some of the greatest melodies he's written are on this album. And thank you for saying what you said about that is all, because that could very well be my favorite George Harrison love song in his solo career. Mm -hmm. So moving. Mm -hmm. Along with Your Love is Forever, but we'll we'll talk about that. <laughs> but... Um, an incredible melody. I love the sound of George's voice when he goes high. Some people think he's reaching. You know, George used to joke about that with um, with you, with the song You, because originally You was going to be for Ronnie Spector to do, just like Try Some Bison was for Ronnie Spector. And uh, when George finally went and recorded You and took the backing tracks, he said he had to sit in a high chair for that. <laughs> now, there are certain songs on this album where he's singing really high and you might think it's a strain for him, but I love the sound of his voice when he does that. And the lyrics of, of that is all is so simple. And just like we've said so many times, there are songs like that that could be about a woman or could be about God. Yeah. In fact, Don't Let Me Wait Too Long could be about God. Yeah. Or it could be about Wait. a woman. Yep. You know, yep. and, and it's it, it it's a skill to be able to write a song where you can interpret it two completely different ways Agreed. and um you know i really love the message of what george is trying to say here and that his purpose in life the, the most important thing is to get closer and closer to god and you know that's more important than all the things in the material world and what he experienced and the light that has lighted the world is one of the most touching songs in his entire career and I love the fact that it's slow. I love the lyrics of it. Nicky Hopkins adds so much, as we already said. Yeah. And um, the slide guitar work on there is phenomenal. And throughout this entire album, his slide work, yeah, especially awesome. The Lord Loves the One, yeah. the way that it ends, yeah. like the last, I don't know, half a minute of just slide, you know. Um, and I don't want to make the mistake of not commending every musician on this album because like you said klaus Vormann's wow. bass playing is phenomenal yeah. i love what you said about jim keltner because sumi say you blues there's a lot yeah. of odd 
playing that he does yeah. there on those drums. Yes. And um, yeah, it adds so much. But the the songs that mean the most to me are the light that is light of the world, who can see it, just the words of of who can see it. I know that you read some of them, Tom, but um, I've been held up. I've been run down. I can mm -hmm. see quite clearly now through those past years when I played towing the line. I only ask yeah. that what I feel should not be denied me now as it's been earned and I have seen my life belongs to me and my love belongs to who can see it. Powerful stuff right there. And you talk about Nicky Hawkins, those arpeggios, those notes that he plays at the very end of the song that go down. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you know, I love that added <clears throat> touch on who can see it. Living in the material world. I mean, really strong lyrics there of what he's had to go through. Um, as I'm faded for the material world, get frustrated in the material world, senses never gratified, only swelling like a tide that could drown me in the material world. You know, uh, Be Here Now, we said a lot about that. What I love most about Be Here Now is the fact that it's so slow. He doesn't care. <laughs> it's like a mantra. A whole measure is just one word <laughs> and when you do that you're drawing attention to each word so it makes the message even more powerful as strange as it may seem sometimes I, I i make a parallel between within you without you and be here now because within you without you though production wise is is so complicated with eastern and western instruments but it's a slow song he cares about what he's saying in it, it goes on for five minutes for some people, it takes a lot of patience to sit through Within You Without You. These days, I think of Within You Without You as one of the greatest masterpieces in the Beatles canon, not only because of the song, but because of all the work that George Martin put into it uh, in the arrangement, blending the Eastern and Western instruments. But Be Here Now is very much kind of like that, although it's stripped down with just George and a guitar. But the fewer the words, stronger the message, the more direct it is to you. And that's all he cares about is what he's saying in that message. And his voice is beautiful on it. I've always loved Try Some Buy Some. It's such a quirky song. And Ronnie Spector, when she did it, she didn't get it. <laughs> it was too weird a song for her. And it's got very <laughs> weird chords throughout it. And odd time signatures. A song like, well, You, <laughs> or even Don't Let Me Wait Too Long is more a Ronnie Spector, Ronettes type song. Try yeah. some, buy some is not, you know? I do find it very interesting though that David Bowie covered Try Some, Buy Some. Mm. Yeah. So, but then again, it doesn't surprise me about David because he likes odd, weird songs. But um, I love the message of it. It's more like a lost and found kind of thing. You're lost, you need the spirituality to find God, but you're lost perhaps in drugs here which is what it mm. sounds like. I especially love The Day the World Gets Round, which he wrote the day after the concert for Bangladesh. And it was right. his yeah. way of expressing how frustrated he felt and how he thinks that it's wrong, that even though we now admire George and the concert for Bangladesh for being the first big benefit concert, George felt, why do entertainers have to do this to raise the money? when governments have all the money in the world where they can feed the world over many times over. So he yeah. expressed that and that's part of why, and that was before he got 
he had all these problems with the money going to Bangladesh and he was writing that. So there's so much here to love about this album, but most of all, what, what I love is the fact that he's more intimate with his lyrics here than and his other songs. And it's just like, I'm sure when you make a parallel with John Lennon, there's so many songs that John wrote that were very personal, but some more personal than others. I think the same thing could be said when you're dealing with all the spiritual songs that George wrote. Even My Sweet Lord is a personal song. Yeah. You know, it might be clouded in, oh, it was a top 40 hit, but number one hit, it's up tempo, it's got a great riff and blah, blah, blah. But the message of the song and what he's saying is very meaningful to him. Well, I think the songs that are on here, especially the light that has lighted the world, who can see it and be here now, are among the most powerful lyrically in how much he changed as a person and what's really important to him. It may not be what his fans want to hear. Right. You know, they might want another what is life or or Crackerbox Palace, the ones I always <laughs> pick on as being the more the lighter side of George or the, the funnier mm -hmm. side of George or mm -hmm. commercial side. They might want more got my mindset on yous. But um, and I love that side of George too. The fact that you have that diversity and so many styles in George's music is is another reason why I admired his talent so much. And mm -hmm. um for that reason, uh, this this album. And it's it's so tough to follow all things must pass. I'm still stunned with all things must pass. Mm -hmm. The only thing greater than a single album of strong material is a double album of strong material. And that's what you have with all things must pass. Mm -hmm. But this this album is is really precious to me, living in the material world, for the reasons I just said, because mm -hmm. these are songs that I think meant more to George. Although everything that he wrote, I'm sure, meant a lot to him, but yeah. I think meant even more. So if you can get the message and accept him on this journey, you know, mm -hmm. he'll appreciate you more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, mm. uh, and I'm glad you reminded me. I forgot to also mention one of my favorites, Living in the Material World. That's a great song. Mm. I, I, I love that one, too. Uh, not only a great rocker, and then, of course, you get the bonus of hearing him play the sitar again, which he hadn't played. Mm. Uh, in, in a while before uh, this this album, so another great one. So, and all I right. Also, little, oh, sure. little, some, oh. little something just uh, to let mm -hmm. Kevin say about meeting him where he is. I think, um, you know, if you if some people, I think maybe you know they're neutral or they're negative about this album. I don't know people's opinions, but I think if you care about George, you're interested in George. If if you can suspend sort of that critical part of your brain and and just see how this sort of paints a portrait of him at the time the way port you know we go to plastic ono band you know but that paints a picture of john at that particular time right. and i think it's a very interesting portrait of a human being who is taking a huge huge risk here not not career risk but as a person saying i'm going to tell you what i'm going through right now and these are my concerns these are my spiritual concerns this is how i'm engaging with the world so it's not so much about is this song good, is this song bad. It's it's a this is a you know a very unusual thing for one of the top artists in the world to be doing. You know, can you imagine Michael Jackson or Britney Spears doing an album where they're talking you know very directly about their spirituality in in a in a heartfelt way? Mm -hmm. And I you know I think that's that's what this album is. Um, you know, all things must pass certainly has that 
that element to it. But this is with all that the artifice stripped away and saying like, here the, the songs. This is very direct. This is very personal and pointed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, oh, go yeah. ahead, Ken. I just wanted to say, um, John Barham, I think, deserves some credit here because I do love the arrangements that he added to some of the songs where I think it really, it really benefited. I yeah. love what he did with um, The Day the World Gets Round and That Is All. You know, John Barham is someone we should we should study a little bit more because he has yeah. quite a bit of history with George Harrison and with the Beatles, and, um, and Ravi Shankar. Worked, I mean, and he, Ravi Shankar worked yeah. on um, the Imagine album a bit. So, yeah. I mean, think about the strings on it. Is isn't it a pity that was his yeah. arrangement, right? Yeah, something like that. So um, where he's needed, I mean, he he fit the bill right there. You know. With, yeah. uh, with those songs, gave it just what it needed in terms of orchestration. And, mm -hmm. and Try Some Buy Some, by the way, is a co-production with Phil Spector. Yes. So Phil Spector, Phil Spector has a little right. bit. Yeah, a little bit. Well, that's true. He did make an appearance. <laughs> yeah. He did make an appearance. Yeah. So, uh, and don't, don't, right. let me, don't let me wait too long. I can imagine with a Spectre yeah. you know, production. For you know, sure. It really, it really has that. You know, sort of in my mind, I can hear a girl group. You know, yes. Like, you know rhythm yeah. in the background sort of sort of uh, driving it hmm. for sure absolutely um what are are there some songs on here that uh and, and ken is probably going to sit this question out but are there some songs <laughs> <laughs> are, are there songs on here that you think are are not as as strong that you know you either could have left out or or swapped out or you know are, are there moments on this album that you think are not as strong so uh tom you look you look like you're <laughs> opening well I, well I, I yeah no i i think every song on here is good to great um the the one maybe issue that i might have is maybe a, a couple of the vocal performances on some of the songs maybe that could have been during the you know the, these stressful times maybe i know stress may have something to do with with the vocal performance I, I find during give me love i think there's some you know parts in the song where maybe the vocals aren't as strong um as it has been in the past or in the future and the same with um oh Darn it. Um, um, the, uh, try some, buy some. I mean, I, I don't think that's one of his be better vocal performances either. But again, I, I you know, I, I think, you know, um, Give Me Love is, is a great song. I just think in some parts, uh, maybe, you know, especially when he extends uh, a lyric or, or a word or something like that, I think some of that really just doesn't flow uh, for me as well. But again, I just think every song is good to great on here. And Maybe just one one or two vocal examples where maybe, you know, he could have done it a little better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple moments, I'll get to in a second, where I thought either he could have taken it down a key or there were some moments where I, yeah, I thought I heard some vocal strain that I thought, mm -hmm. uh oh, and that, you know, and then we'd really mm -hmm. hear it on Dark Horse, of course. Yeah, so, right. uh, so, yeah, Jason, how about you? Were there some areas that you thought could have been better or or didn't work for you or i mean as as someone who is a writer with a writing background who has who's i was i think i first paid attention to lyrics you know more strongly than to music and now i listen more to both um i could always nitpick lyrics mm -hmm. and, and say you know i think 
you know, I think we're all Dylan fans and, you know, to look at Dylan's work around this period compared to George's, you know, which is unfair. I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but just to say, you know, here's sort of a high watermark of somebody writing lyrics. Um, I, you know, I think some of them could have, could have been worked over a little bit more, um, polished a little bit better, maybe add an extra verse or a half verse or whatever. Um, you know, don't let me wait too long is the one I, I mentioned earlier. And I, I do think that, you know, could, it could be, there could be a little more lyrically. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of these songs have a little more lyrically, but, you know, again, going back to if I'm meeting George where he is and I kind of want to understand this person who I admire a lot and who I grow more interested in every year the more I read about him, then, you know, I want to set that critical part of my brain aside and I want to look at this as as a, a product of this person at this moment and try mm -hmm. to understand him yeah so so i yeah i don't really get into though you know this song's no good or this song's lyrics are bad or this that it's like i'm i'm going to take it as a whole i'm going to i'm going to try to understand it on that level mm. yeah i mean because i think that's why i wanted to spend so much time talking about the context because i think that that for this album it's really important to, to, to understand i i completely agree um yeah for me I, try some buy some i i didn't like ronnie specter's version yeah this doesn't really do it for me either um i yeah. i just think yeah part part of it is yes i wish he had just re-recorded taken it down a key uh, but also i don't know it's just never the song has just never appealed to me period uh, i i don't know what it is um and also same thing with with who can see it i think again if you had taken it down a key i could really hear him straining um at times and jason i was so relieved when you talked about don't let me wait too long because i really really want to like this song a lot more than i do and i think you nailed it it's the lyrics that you know because it's very catchy it, it really is and the and the uh, you know, the, in, the the backing track is great. You know, it's a real throwback to 60s, as you said, 60s girl group kind of, you know. But I think it's, I think you're right. It's the lyrics. It, it, they're just a little repetitive for me. Yeah. Um, and, and you just want something more to happen. You know, you want it to go somewhere, you know, and, and for me, it just doesn't, you know, and I, and, and it just kind of goes on and on and, I, I just want more to happen. I just want it to go somewhere more lyrically. So I was I was really happy you said that. Because <laughs> I thought, <laughs> is it just me? I mean, you know, everybody else loves this song and I, I yeah. want to like it more than I do. So I I think you nailed it. I mean, it's the lyrics. Yeah, but, I mean, but that you know, that's not to say that I don't like it. Oh yeah, I don't hate it. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. I don't hate it. But I, I want it's, to watch like it more than I do. Yeah, it's like I'm pulling for George, you know. Yes, I, exactly. Like, mm -hmm. come on, you get a little bit. You can. You're almost there. You almost got it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's exactly how how I feel. And and same thing with um, uh, the Lord that uh, the Lord loves the one. I mean, I love the backing track. I mean, the the backing track is is wonderful. Uh, but the lyrics little clunky, and and I know that's the one that seems to be in all the reviews that mm. I read. That's the most controversial track, you know, that everyone says he's preachy, he's preachy, and mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't that bad. But I just, you know, it's it is a little clumsy and and a little heavy-handed. But I love the backing track. I mean, that's you know, if he'd worked on the lyrics a little bit more, um, you know, because I I saw what he was doing. 
and yeah. and I admire, of course, expressing his spiritual beliefs. I think it was just a little overdone. I I think it, if he just worked on him a little bit more, you know, again, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for him. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I I think it's a it's a it's a very special album. So. Okay, so we have talked about the context. We've talked about the making of the album. We've talked about its its strengths. Uh, it's uh, you know I don't know about weak points. That's a that's a harsh thing to say. Some areas that you know maybe weren't uh, weren't as strong. So let's talk about fifty years later to wrap this up in the overall canon of of his work. So where do you think today? Where would you put it and, and, you know, rank it in, in his overall canon? You know, would you rank it toward the top, the middle, the bottom? You know, where, where do you think it sits? So I, I, can, I can guess where you're going to rank it, Ken, but I'll start with you. <laughs> well, you know, there's a difference between favorite and best. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. certainly this album is my favorite for the reasons that I told you about. It's touched me in a way that other albums haven't been able to do. I can certainly understand people saying All Things Must Pass is the greatest album from George and even the greatest solo Beatle album. A lot of people express that. So it doesn't upset me at all if people say that because I'm astounded with All Things Must Pass. So it definitely is, for me, number one, but overall, without a doubt, in the top two. <laughs> Um, and that's coming from someone who, you know, they're very, there's very few, we've, we've talked about what's probably the bottom, bottom of the barrel when it comes to George. And for me, it's probably Owen Lynn's going to hate me. <laughs> um, it's probably extra texture and, and somewhere in England. Right. I do not dislike Dark Horse. There's a lot of really good stuff on Dark Horse. Um, but when you talk about 33 and a third, George Harrison, two killer albums back to back. I think Gontrapo is extremely underrated. I love, um, you know, Cloud Nine and Brainwash. Those are all strong albums. Um, and even the two at the bottom have some really worthwhile songs on them. But if you want to know where I, where I place this one, for me, it's my personal favorite. If you want to say it's his second best, I'm okay with that. Kind of how I feel. Okay, fair enough. All right. Oh my gosh, Joe is entering the chat, so he'll be just <laughs> oh, okay. in time to give his final uh, final approval. So while he's uh, while he's joining in, uh, Tom, where would you rank it? This is uh, definitely top five for me, um, especially you know again since I've been rediscovering the album since since the reissue. Uh, I, I I think it's it it really is a magnificent album, the the playing between the playing and and lyrically, uh, you know, and just talking about it now, I just I have so much more appreciation for this album, and uh, you know it's it's like that thing where you know when we do another listen, right? It's just like we have, or at least you know some of us have bad memories, not you know, liking the album at first, right? Uh, and then we go back and listen to it. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, I guess it wasn't really that bad, <laughs> you know? And 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 this one, this album kind of does that for me because I, again, I remember just like really liking just four songs and then just the missing the, the rest of them. But 
man, when you really just sit there and, and whether it's, you know, with headphones or just enjoying your stereo system or in the car, when you're really just listening to what he's saying uh, on this album. Um, you, you really under, get to understand George a little bit more. And I think that's really the important thing uh, with this album. Absolutely. I also want to say, you know, since since we talked about Klein, you know, the whole Bangladesh thing without the money not getting getting to where it needs to go. I mean, I, if you read the book, you know, by Fred Goodman, he, he talks about how I think it was Klein. I need to go back and read. It. It's been many years since I've read it. But he talks about how Klein may have uh, purposely uh, filed the wrong, you know, the wrong t tax paperwork uh, on that. And maybe that's why. Um, you know, George was really stressed out about the money not going where it needed to go. Hmm. What a great guy. This is a great yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Joe. Hey. How are Hello. you feeling? Hello. Tylenol and Advil do not work. <laughs> uh, I haven't had anything like this, but I don't mean to belabor this, but, uh, oh, no. you know, um, anyway, hi, Jason. Good to see you here. Hi. joining. I watched the show and I was very interested. Wish I, I could have talked more because it's, it's a lot of people say it's a good thing he can't talk. That's good. So, <laughs> no, I, I can talk. It just hurts. Um, can I just say? I mean, I want to make it quick. What I think of of everything because you know sure. it, it's getting late here. But um, I like the album, so don't worry, Ken or or. <laughs> I was wondering, he's probably going to join the show just to correct me at the end. Right, right, right. I agree with most of the things I've heard here. I mean, I think, you know, it's a very personal album. It's very respectable coming from a major pop rock artist like George. And as we, you know, as has been said, I think side one, I really like. It's pretty much all the way through. It's pretty perfect for me. Side two, I have a couple songs i mean if we're talking about the songs that maybe not that wild about i've never been a big fan of try some buy some really uh but other than that i pretty much like all the other songs um what can i say give me love give me peace on earth is is a, one of my favorite george songs a great single uh as has been said uh sue me sue you blues is that kind of snarky part of george and a, a lot of fun too like good good points bringing up the drumming Mm. Which I, uh, Jim Keltner, which 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 I like as well. Now I don't. I'm trying to get these in order because um, I don't really remember. <laughs> I played it again uh, yesterday, thinking I was going to be able to do the show, um, but maybe out of order on some of these. But uh, I be here now, uh, gorgeous. You know, uh, it says so much. Although uh, although I do believe in being in the present and savoring the moment because that's all you really have george was very big on that you know uh the past is gone the future isn't here yet but uh, i don't think it's an unwise mind to wander around the corner that's that's because i i i, I live for nostalgia and i like to I, I i always figure that there's no point in living a life excuse me if you're not that's going okay. to frequently consult remember the good old times as well so i i, I you know i live here today but i kind of like to reminisce a lot but mm -hmm. that's a, such a such a strong song and, and you know of course without as i think ken said right uh not really just basically a guitar mm -hmm. uh, you know george uh, by himself not a lot needed for that song it's so strong um who can see it um is is really a powerful track i, I love the lyrics as been said it's so personal 
a lot like we said, kind of like John had the way he had Plastic Ono band, mm -hmm. uh, George, you know, now having this. Uh, one thing I will say, I you know, I think that George is reaching kind of high on some of these. A lot of times I think maybe yeah. his voice can't it can't sustain it. Although it still doesn't somehow doesn't hurt the song for me. The listening experience, I still like it. I I just think it's funny. I was in the car listening on a CD, and my girlfriend who is butts her nose in a lot because she's a trained singer. She says this is a beautiful song, but somebody else should sing it. She said, and I'm like, well, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be, you have to be in, you know, once you're into it, you 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 like the Beatles for who they were and are, and you appreciate it, kind of like I guess Dylan, maybe, you know, I like Dylan now, now, you know, it's like, um, oh, you know, uh, the light that has lighted the, the world. Um, you know, another pretty song, and uh, says so much. And as far as the preachiness of the album, I think a few songs can be accused of that. Although it's really just George giving his views. Of yeah. course, uh, the the Lord loves the one who loves the Lord. Um, I happen to be a believer. I happen to be spiritual, so I'm okay with all of it. But I can see where some people would feel like they were getting kind of preached to on that. But I think as Tom often says, it's that track is such just a good track. It's just a a zippy and bouncy song that uh, it doesn't matter, you know. If you how if you don't care for what he's saying, it's still enjoyable on its own. Uh, the title track, "A Living in a Material World." One thing I don't think anybody said this is my favorite part of it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If somebody said this, is the what I call the bridge. Oh, that that beautiful part in the middle from the spiritual sky and such such sweet right. memories have I and all that. I just yeah. love the feel, almost a mystical bit mm -hmm. in there, kind of like a little, you know, uh, within you, without you vibe or something in there. I love it when it goes back to, yeah. to the, the, the the format of the song before that, and he does that mm -hmm. at least twice. In the song, and mm -hmm. I like I like it when he does it the second time even better. I come to look forward to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody said in in the comments, was this the only song we could think of where the other Beatles were mentioned by name? John, mm -hmm. Paul, mm -hmm. Richie. I mm -hmm. wonder. Um, <clears throat> not sure. <laughs> Can't think Good going trivia going. question, Ken. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Watch and, my uh, website, Ben. Got soon. his trivia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Write that down. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know why. Oh, wait, wait. Peace stream. Peace stream. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ringo with the well, yeah. I oh. love Peace stream. That's one yeah. of my all-time favorite Ringo songs. Mm. I do love it. Mm. Uh, but am I missing anything that I wanted to comment on uh, the songs? Mm -hmm. Um. I'm drawing a, oh, that is all. I love that is all. Ken will be oh, happy. Yeah. I know he loves that song. <laughs> I know, I know. you mentioned it frequently. That should be a standard. It, it's know, gorgeous. So, you know, I, I just, I, I, I kind of look at Don't Let Me Wait Too Long as the obvious second single for its commercial yeah. appeal. But that, I wish that is all. See, it's such a slow song. I don't know no. if it could have ever been a hit. Yeah. I mean, there are ballads that are slow that are hits, but that well, might the first time ever I saw your face. Oh yeah, that's slow. Yeah. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> that worked. But um, uh, and Tom, don't, don't, you... let me, don't let me wait too long. Great, yeah. great. Yeah. The poppy song should have been a, should have been a single. Yeah. yeah. Tom, did you want to say Liverpool? 
Liverpool eight, uh, Ringo mentions the other three. Oh, okay. <laughs> Two yep. songs. All right. Yep. Uh, so, uh, Joe, where would you rank um, this album in, in Georgia's canon? Where, like, um, if I say I think it went down a little for me lately, things move all the time. I only say that because I think the self-titled George Harrison album has gone up a little for me. I probably I put it in the top five for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I probably like All Things Must Pass, Cloud Nine, George Harrison, maybe, maybe even 33 to 3rd, better maybe, but, the, you know, they switch. So it's in the top five, five. four or five, four okay. maybe at times. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. All right, perfect. Okay, Jason, <laughs> how about you? Where would you uh, rank this? I mean, All Things Must Pass is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, and, and like you say, these, the ratings go up and down the way I feel about something yeah. is going to change because of whatever mood I'm in. And, and I think that's an, that's an excellent point, just not in music or, or Beatles albums or whatever, but just in artwork in general is to remain open to something that may speak to you in 10 years that doesn't speak to you now. Um, I've had many, many occasions where something that I maybe encountered in college, I didn't care for. And now it, it hit me. I get it. You know, didn't care for Herman Melville when I was getting in, an English degree. And now I understand Herman Mel Melville much better and I can appreciate him. He don't, may not be the first thing I reach for, but I appreciate it. First time I heard Big Star's Radio City, I was like, eh, I'm not really big on this. And now it's like one of my favorite records uh, from <laughs> mm -hmm. the 70s. So you know, anybody who's listening to this who may be on the fence and may think like, oh, you know, these guys are out of their minds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they think that all the time. That good. I, you know, I came to hate watch. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I say, you know, give it time and, you know, maybe you'll come back to it. And maybe it's maybe it's message where George is speaking to himself. Maybe that will resonate for you, in, in, you know, in some right. time. I mean, yeah, well, I'm as, glad you reminded me, me, me of that, Jason, because I meant to yeah. say that and forgot. And I think other people had covered it. You know, this is one of those albums that, for me anyway, and just maybe some people, it's a grower kind of thing. At a younger age, I just wasn't really in tune with it. As yeah. I got older and older, I just felt it resonated more with me. Yeah. yeah. So as far as like personal, like I, I write, I sort of have this even with Cloud Nine. Uh, sec as like second right behind all things must pass currently ask me in six months might change my yeah. mind yeah, absolutely. absolutely yep but yes. a lot of people express that about george harrison in particular mm -hmm. that they couldn't understand what he was talking about especially his spiritual stuff when they were younger and mm -hmm. as they mature and they get older then they could understand what where he was coming from yeah. so mm -hmm. that's and i mean i've always I've loved All Things Must Pass since the day I heard it, but yeah. over the years, yeah. my appreciation has deepened because I've, you know, I've aged and I've had more experiences and I, and I understand things that he's talking about in a much different way. Mm. And this, this mm. record is certainly like that too. Yep. I, I agree. And uh, I would probably rank this number five, um, which is really? way up from where it used to be. It's yeah. <laughs> same thing with Tom. First time I heard this, I, mm. I just didn't connect with it, but I was a lot younger. And, uh, and now that I listen to it, you know, now I, I just think a lot of these lyrics are just profound. And, you know, and some of them, you just think, oh, I know what he's talking about now. I mean, not not about being a rock star, but other than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it does help me. It did help me earlier in, in my fandom to read 
lyrics because I can't always decipher all the time. It happens with a lot of songs, really. You yeah. can't always decipher what did he what did he say? You know, I didn't get mm-hmm. catch that word or whatever. So I, I liked having the lyrics with me, you know, and I would read them and I eventually learned them. Yeah, exactly. And as we talked about earlier, knowing what he was going through at the time really enhances your appreciation of the album and, and your understanding of the lyrics. So so we all really encourage you, if you haven't picked up this album in a while, do it. You know, I think you will be pleasantly surprised at, at how much you will, you know, appreciate this album even more. And I think we'll all agree that 50 years on, it hasn't aged at, at all. Mm. I don't think, I mean, I don't think it sounds 50 years old. I mean, it sounds... <laughs> Pretty fresh today, I, mm, I would yeah. say. I think it really, it hasn't uh, aged one bit. Yeah. So, uh, it so, has a lot of great musical ideas that I still think mm, connect today. Absolutely. Mm. Well said, Jason. I think I completely agree. But, uh, well, this has been a fascinating discussion. And, uh, and as I said, I hope this will uh, inspire all of you if, you, if you haven't listened to this in a while, to do so. If you listen to this regularly, and we hope you'll listen to it with uh, fresh ears and, and uh, think about some of the things that we have talked about today. And thank all of you for tuning in and sharing your thoughts on, uh, on this very special George Harrison album. Uh, so before we go, let's uh, share what we're all up to. And I know uh, it will be a lot of uh, exciting stuff. So Jason, since, uh, since you're our guest, why don't you go first? What, uh, how can people reach you and uh, what projects are you working on? Well, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at PT Beatles under the producing the Beatles uh, account and a new episode of producing the Beatles. I just put out today on, on Live and Let Die. Um, and I do have, I have two episodes on, on um, George's uh, solo George. I'm doing bonus episodes for season one, all on solo songs. And so I did, as did a pity in my sweet Lord based on research in the book. And I used interviews that we did for the book um, as part of that episode. So keep your eye out for that. I'm going to try to have a new episode uh, more frequently than I have been having them because I know people are emailing me and saying, when are you going to come on? Come on. <laughs> you don't have to have a life. You don't have to have a career. Go, go make some more podcasts. Right. <laughs> some, guy today, some guy today said, I wish you'd put these out more like, I don't know, hourly. And it's like, well, you know, I'm, only, I'm not an AI yet. Um, right. So yeah, look for me there. Nice. Uh, and uh, I, you know, buy the book. Uh, I, I'm very proud of of what we did with All Things Must Pass in particular. If you if you love that album, yes, thank you. Get the paperback because it's revised and we have Mal Evans's diaries, his notes now as the appendix um, on the sessions. The, the, Wait the a minute. Yes, you know about this? Wait, Wait I want my money there? back. <laughs> oh, we only got access to that. We only got access to that after we finished yeah, the, yeah. Fir- the, the uh, hardback. Yeah. So that I, I made sure the revisions included that i fought hard for that and um so it i think it's definitive now it's you know even the harrison estate didn't have that information so if wow. you don't know who, who played on what it's in that book um as well as all the other details of making that that album so uh very proud of that so wow. yes so on each track on all things must pass we know yes Except wow. in a handful of except in a handful of cases where Mal wasn't present, but he wrote everything down because he had to make sure every got paid. 
and uh, so there's that. There's recording dates. There's you know all all these other details that for years I never thought we would have. And when Ken showed me this stuff, I was like, oh my god, it's all here. <laughs> wow! It's worth buying the book a second time just for. Well, what's that? Like, I'm gonna pick up that edition. I mean, it goes it goes on sale, so you may be able to get it you know pretty cheaply, like under under twenty bucks for sure. I think it's I think it's around eighteen. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. Oh, but, um, yeah, but I, I I told Ken when we started that I wanted to do a Lewis and on all things must pass and and we were able to do that pretty much for the first for the hardcover and then once we got the diaries I was like that's it we've got it like this is a level of detail that I aspired to mm. so very very proud of that uh, if you love that album congratulations that's uh, yeah. that's that's awesome Thanks. news I mean I'm wow. not too happy I gotta buy the book well anyway <laughs> but the, but those di those diaries will be coming out anyways right separately after the bio is out is that yes. is that an accurate statement yes okay yeah with, with but if you want them now if you want yes. the, that part of it now buy the paperback yeah all right I will put all okay. this information uh in the description after uh after we're done here so Wow, that is excellent news. Congratulations, Jason. Thank you. Oh, that's fabulous. Okay, Tom, what are you up to? Yes. Well, uh, last two weeks, we've had a couple wonderful guests on Two Legs. Uh, Jude Sutherland Kessler was on. We talked about um, her books, naturally. And we talked about John and Paul's 21st birthdays. They were... Uh, they were they were a handful, especially Paul's twenty-first <laughs> birthday. But uh, but but no, but seriously, but the but the 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 John and Paul trip um, that was supposed to be Spain, but ended just ended in 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 uh, Paris was was a really cool story. I mean, I mean, Beatle Media was pretty much I you know kind of you can argue that maybe was created uh, while they were there. Uh, you know, they get the new hairdos, they get the the, the, the look in, in a way uh, while they're there. So that was a really fun episode to do with her. Uh, this past weekend, we just, uh, we had uh, Ken Womack on, uh, Jason Krupa's uh, buddy, and um, we had a really good talk about uh, Mel. And uh, obviously we got some sprinkled in some Paul McCartney out there because uh, as you can see on the cover, it's just Mel and Paul <laughs> on that cover. And we talked about that and um, and and Ken was, was pretty adamant that 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 uh, Mel really loved and, and took a really um, took a real what's the word I'm looking for just a shining to not a, a liking to, to to Paul and really admired uh, admired him and um, I can't re wait to read that book it's going to be fascinating but but yeah. thank you Ken Womack for giving us a little bit of insight what what we can expect. Uh, from that book. Uh, and to complicate my life a little bit more, I decided to do a movie channel because I'm also uh, an avid movie fan. And um, that's just called Tom's Movie Channel. So you can find that on YouTube. I have a couple of videos up uh, there and hoping to get another video up within the next uh, two days. So I really don't know when I'm going to have the fun time for that, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, other than that, you can uh, reach me uh, at, for two legs at, uh, at um, uh, two legs podcast at gmail.com uh, please check out the youtube channel it's it's continuing to grow we're almost at 1.5 subscribers we really want to try to hit the 2k uh by the end of the year we're going we're to do a, a we're going to do a giveaway of some kind whether or not it's you know stuff you see in this room or or <laughs> or uh you know whatever some kind of uh fun prize uh for that but that's just if we hit the if we hit the goal but uh but also subscribe to 
talk more talk, right? I mean, yes. we're we're getting we're quickly approaching uh, 2K subs as well, so yes. that'll be a great that's a great when we get there. there as well. You know, we got to catch up to um, things we said today. I mean, those that's guys, right. You know, they've got they got all the stuff over there. <laughs> yeah, mine <it> is. <laughs> Well, I'll have you know that my podcast was number four in Croatia yesterday. So, congratulations! Congratulations! It's actually doing fairly well since a new episode came out. But I just I sent my girlfriend that. It's like, look at me in Croatia, and she's like, "Uh right. And uh, (laughs) we we one one yeah one last thing. Sorry, go Uh, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, one last thing is I on, on our two legs Facebook page I I asked if there was anybody else anybody out there that had this uh, this little book here from 1984 and um, and there's a reason um, and I hopefully that uh, that'll come soon so um, mm-hmm. look forward to look forward to that so I recognize it interesting mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, um, before we continue, just want to let you guys know, uh, you can, of course, reach us right here at Talk More Talk at uh, talkmoresolotalk at gmail.com. Please send uh, your feedback. Uh, If you have ideas for future topics you might like to see, please let us know. Uh, You can also, of course, find us right here on this channel. As Tom said earlier, please subscribe. We'd love to hit 2,000 as well, and we're we're getting there, so please... uh, Please subscribe and, uh, as the kids say, smash that like button on these videos (laughs) as well. Um, You can also find us on Facebook, and uh, if you hit the like button there, you will be notified of future episodes. Um, You can also find us on Twitter at TalkMoreTalk1, the number one. Uh, You can also find us on our website at TalkMoreTalk.com, and I think that's everything there. Uh, As far as I go, um, I, if you're watching this or listening to this in time um tomorrow june 6th i'm going to be uh tim womack again appears on here uh he uh invited me to appear on his tuesday night record club and we are going to be talking about the cars 1978 debut album just an incredible album. I mean, there isn't a bad track on it. And so we're going to be talking about that on Record Club. That'll be at 7.30 Eastern. Uh, and the link to register for that uh, will be on our Talk More Talk Facebook page. Um, maybe I'll put it on the link, uh, put a link in the description here as well. Hope you'll join us. It is absolutely free. And uh, we're going to go through not every single track, but as many as we can get to. So come on and, and join us and uh, we'll go through this, uh, this incredible album. Also, uh, the latest episode, actually it's side A and side B of Toppermost and the Poppermost is out, where we go through the U.S. and U.K. charts of May 1963. We really had a fabulous time uh doing it we keep uh going uh, through and tracing the beatles on the charts and also uh, we talk about the debut of some future legends that uh, appear on the charts for the first time Mm. so i hope you will check out those episodes as well you can find those on our um facebook page uh so please uh join that as well so i think that's everything for me uh ken how about you well, if you want to reach me by email, uh, my address is everylittlething at att.net. Every little thing, of course, is the name of my Beatles radio show that's syndicated right now on 50 radio stations. Um, if you want to listen to the show on demand, 
you can go to WFDU's website, Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. It's WFDU.FM. Go to their archives page and type in the name Every Little Thing. And they save my last two week shows on there for two weeks. So you don't have to listen at a specific time. You can listen whenever you want over that two week period. That's WFDU.FM. My uh, YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio, and I have 1.3 thousand subscribers who's counting one <laughs> 1. 1.3 1300 subscribers yeah. help me get up to 2000 please uh, please subscribe really... <laughs> <laughs> um i did a show just recently with annie nichols your co-host dylan cv who appears on your show quite frequently and on my channel and jeff slate and it's all about bob dylan and the beatles and their influence on each other um, it's part one of our conversation. We took it all the way through the concert for Bangladesh. We should be finishing our conversation with that this week. I also did an interview with Michael Ventrella, who put out that book, The Beatles on the Charts. This is my second show with uh, with Michael. He gave me uh, his top five Beatle albums and explained why. And um, also, there's my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com. Don't forget, there is weekly Beatles trivia, as we were talking about earlier. Kind of ironic, you have toppermost of the poppermost as your show there. Um, there's a game called All Together Now, in which I list four songs that were on the charts at the same time in the top 10 in the United mm -hmm. States, and you have to name the Beatles song or the solo Beatles song that was in the top 10 while those four songs were. So it's oh, kind wow, of similar wow. in a way to what you do in that show, talking about <laughs> oh, no, what the Beatles are working on and what was on the charts then. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So again, that's at KenMichaelsRadio.com. And uh, we're taking a brief break with things we said today for the moment. Don't know when exactly the next show will be, but it won't be too long from now. I'm going to be on a brief Don't let vacation. you wait too long. Aha, uh -huh, very good. <laughs> it won't be long yet. Yeah. Maybe long, long, long. <laughs> we could do this all night <laughs> but we won't don't worry uh, <laughs> all right thank you ken well thank you jason for joining us we always love it when you come back and uh we hope you will come back again very soon and uh and when you uh you and ken finish this next book of course we want to have you back on to talk about it uh, but hopefully you'll be back sooner than that. So, uh, but thank you so much. So for Tom, Jason, and Ken, this is Kit saying that is all. Talk yeah, you to did. you next you time. Did it, you did. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. What?